Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, Glass Onion performs very well. We review and or and add it to our Star Wars tier list. And the Daniels join the show to talk everything everywhere all at once. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 239 of Real Blend, the podcast that told the Oscars, hey, guys, you know what? You should really show all 23 Oscar categories live on the show. And then they were like, you know what? You guys are right. We're going to go back to doing that. <laughs> so you're welcome, everybody. My name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing <laughs> editor here at Cinema Blend. Joined, as always, way before that, hold on. Glass Onion performs really well this week. We review Andor and add it to the Star Wars tier list. And we got a fun one for you today. The Daniels, co-directors of Everything Everywhere All at Once, join us. And they implore you, please don't go looking for those rocks. Just don't do it. It's not encouraged by them in the least bit. You guys will understand that when we get closer to the interview. By we, of course, I mean... Kevin McCarthy, Fox 5 yeah. in Washington, D.C. Hey, Kev, how are hey, you today? Uh, I'm just really excited that we have two potential Oscar nominees on our show this week talking about farts in a bottle. I just want to put that True. out there. This is a this very serious up. discussion that we have about yes. everything, everywhere, all at once. And if uh, you're tuning in now and you like farts and you like bottles, stay tuned. You're going to hear the word butt plugs a few <laughs> times in that interview. Yes, I mean, to are. be fair, that's, that's real blend. And now we're and demonetized in the first couple minutes. <laughs> what? <laughs> In context, <laughs> that's a fair that's a fair uh, use of the word. That is a uh, joke from the movie. That is that, that completely makes sense. And the interview. Yeah. Jake yeah. Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago, who rethinks joining us every single week. You have Hi, no, Jakey. When, whenever the Academy came to us and asked for our opinion on right. uh, all the categories, they uh, said, look, yeah. they said the only way we're going to listen to you is if you have a member who predicted all the categories earlier this year. Yeah. And you said, hot damn, do right. we? Have what we was interesting 
What was interesting is uh, Spielberg wouldn't agree to an interview, which is fine. He's mm, busy sure. and he's he can do whatever he wants. But he did oh, he did ask us to sit down with him for like three hours to talk about how the telecast should work. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so we did have that conversation with Spielberg. This is true. We just didn't record it. Yeah. He was like, I'm thinking about switching to digital. And we were like, yeah. oh, do we have some <laughs> thoughts? Whoa. And we were all at Amblin and we were riding bikes together. It was it was just really. You know, but, but, it, but it was Gabe in the basket. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to be in my my basket that's what oh. i picture <laughs> I just, steven I just, spielberg said the word digital i think all the teeth would fall out of his mouth oh stop <laughs> i just uh, don't think uh, he could process he, well, that the beauty oh, of it is I that he, it. Process he, it. he never will do digital we're all good he can do whatever he wants not yet uh if you're watching us on youtube hello everybody thank you so much for joining us uh we see the subscriptions going up we're at 10.1 now, which is fantastic. Adding them at a Fast and Furious clip. Love the people who come on Friday mornings and start to watch when the notification crew goes off. So thank you for joining us. If you want to join that crew, go to YouTube.com backslash Real Blend Podcast. Give a like and a subscribe. And you guys will be part of that community. Growing community. Yes. I have a question for the, sure. for the notification crew, for folks that watch on YouTube in general. Do you enjoy when we set them as a premiere on YouTube? If you're a user of YouTube, you know what that means. Oh, which I don't like that. Nothing you matters. don't like that? Oh, okay. Well, yeah, it doesn't matter because you don't. Well, okay, but okay. Explain this to me audience. because whenever I've seen anything on Premiere, yeah. and I click on it, it like skips to let's say twenty minutes in, and when I try yeah. to go back, it doesn't let me go. Like I'm, I don't want to start it at twenty minutes in. <laughs> so this is this is why I'm asking the audience, what do they prefer? So the the benefit of the Premiere is that you get to know ahead of time what the episode's going to be and when it's dropping, which is always Friday at six a six thirty central or whatever. But it creates a, like a live watch along experience. Yeah. So it's kind of it's a little too early for probably most people to be watching along. Some of our international listeners, I'm sure, have a, a better time with that. But let me know what you sure. if you like it or if you don't. That's why it has you skip ahead, though, Jake, so that you can you can be in chat together. And but let me know. Let, drop your thoughts in the comments. Premieres? No premieres? Have you signed up for Real Blend Premium? <laughs> uh, you get more useless conversations like this. <laughs> go in circles. <laughs> but you can pay for them this time. Oh my God! Last week's. Oh my God. So, so as a casual listener, uh, Jake Hamilton, who was not part of that conversation, I would love to hear your comments about the discussion, not the I, discussion at play. I'd sure, love to no, hear no, your no, thoughts no. on the topic. And we and we can't restart the discussion. We're no, just, and, just and, and God, would I ever not want you to uh, yeah. in a matter of I don't know. What was it? 40 minutes. I went through the emotional roller coaster of agreeing <laughs> with all of you, disagreeing with all of you, hating yes. all of you. And at some mm. point within the four minutes, wishing all three of you would just shut up. So it was That's a pretty a good show. episode. That's it was a pretty good show. episode. <laughs> it's essentially yeah. the show. That's usually, <laughs> That's usually Jake's emotion as he's on the show. How about we throw it to our interview with the Daniels? Uh, Much better idea. a film idea. out right now called Everything Everywhere All at Once. And to timestamp it briefly, and I think Jake will mention this in the interview, uh, we got to speak to them the night after the film did very well at the Gotham uh, Film Awards, including a well-deserved uh, pickup for Kihoi Kwan, who I really hope ends up in the Oscar conversation. But I, we'll think he's go, dude, I think he's going to. I re- like, like, not just a nominee. Win. I think he's going to win, yeah. It's, po- it's very possible. Oh, he's, he's like on that path. He's be- I feel like the supporting category, generally the one that pans out to be the one that being is the consistent winner throughout the season and generally yeah, right. doesn't change. Yeah. Like the biggest shocks that we've seen are like the actor winning all season and then all of a sudden they switch at Oscar night. But like that supporting category tends to, I mean, Jake, you know, Oscar's and he has just as I much do. of a narrative as Brendan Fraser does. Right. Like, and you know, that, if, if Oscar voters love a good narrative to attach to a win, I mean, sure. what, a, what a narrative he has. 
And, and obviously, the- people tuning in, we started off as an awards show, and, and we're going to dive into our awards discussion, obviously, as we get closer to award season. But I will say, as of today, November 30th, going up with the day we're recording this show, obviously, going up to this date, I was like, oh, Brendan Fraser's locked in to win, and we've seen it, and it's a phenomenal performance. But as the past couple days have panned by, Austin Butler seems to be... Getting I, right up there. I'm I still, just, I still think know. it's Frazier's deli- I, 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 The whale hasn't had its moment yet. They haven't sent out screeners. A bit, I, I you know, it's too early. Just saying, I, I'm feeling that. I'm feeling I, I think the eight people on Twitter talking about Elvis has all of a sudden shifted the narrative, and that's okay. that's not the case. The whale will have a big splash when it finally drops. <laughs> ah, well done. Thank you very much. All right. Okay. Anyway, here's the Daniels talking everything, everywhere, all at once on the Ribbon Podcast. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, I'm going to kick you guys off. Seriously, thank you so much for joining the Real Blend podcast. Um, we're so excited to have you guys on. We are very much we we our sort of thing that we say is that we're a filmmaker's podcast. So please mm. feel free to get into like the nerdy nitty gritty that we oftentimes don't have t- time for into television slots. So yeah, this is it. your this is your time to do it. So thank you for joining us. Thank um, you for having us. Of course. Absolutely. Well, we want to start by saying congratulations because you guys won best feature at the Gotham Awards last night and yeah. a very deserving supporting performance uh, award, which we're we're all very excited about. So I guess just to put a timestamp on this, as we say, like, how are you guys feeling? And um, I guess just what's the difference between what you expected the reaction to this movie to be and how it was going to perform versus what it ended up doing? I feel uh, bad for the losers because their movies were so good. It was uh, <laughs> confusing. Uh, it was very exciting to be in uh sitting at tables next to all the people that made all these good movies. And I did a bad job of saying hello or complimenting them to their faces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will say that like, we are, we were not expecting last night at all. Um, I know people have been saying, Oh, it's an awards contender. It's in the conversation. And like, internally we've been laughing at it honestly we're like i can't believe that people are you know like i know people love our film and they're connecting with it but it does not seem like the kind of thing we we, we if we were trying to make an awards contender we would have written a very different movie it, you know <laughs> there were certain imagine, jokes yeah that, uh, stayed in the script uh, less hot dog because, fingers exactly so but so like to us like we were like this is very fun i love talking about this movie i love talking about our cast and crew so this campaign has been really actually uh you know it, it hasn't been quite a soul sucking because we're not really interested in, in, you know, positioning ourselves in that way. We just want to talk about the movie and, and, and have more excuses to have screenings. And last night was the first time where it felt very real and it was actually kind of sobering. I, um, so I, I'm, I'm still in shock. I'm, I'm very excited and very happy for, you know, for our whole team. Cause it's, it's the whole film got the, got the award. And so it's, it's been really fun just connecting with our cast and crew over text and, and just, just feeling really proud of what we did. And so that's been exciting. But now um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm having to um, shift my brain a little bit um, after last night, because last night I was this. This has been an incredible year for movies. Honestly, I, I've, I've, there's so many films I've seen that I just absolutely loved. And um, to be uh, part of the conversation in this year is, is, has been incredible. Mm. Uh, Daniel, what is a joke that you're surprised uh, is still in the movie? <laughs> 
That, and it's still an awards contender. I heard you mention I mean, that. Yeah. It's all the butt plugs. Isn't it obvious? Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah that's like that's like Oscar tonight. You don't, you don't Can that movie. be the Oscar clip? The butt plugs? Yes, that would be perfect. Yes, please. We're going to suggest it. I don't know if our team's going to go for it. Please. Yeah. It has to be. Um, no, in, in all honesty. Posters. Yeah, with the trophy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in all honesty, what I wanted to do is bring you guys now back to the very beginning. I was lucky enough to be sitting in that audience at South by Southwest. Yes. And um, my jaw was just on the floor. It was just on the floor because I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And mm. so I can't believe that, like, how confident were you guys going into that screening in particular? Because, you know, up to mm. that point, I don't know how often you'd showed it to a crowd and to really yeah. know how it was going to play. Um, and, and how did you feel kind of immediately after that screening? That's a great question. I um, felt pretty confident. We've been, this guy, he's, he's the confident one of the group. <laughs> but we've been to South by many times, and it's like a rowdy, fun, film-loving festival. And so Paramount like when, is great. I always say it's my favorite festival yeah. that we've been to. So when we got in, I was like, our movie is like, I, I feel self-conscious sometimes calling our movie an indie film because we got to play with so many more toys than we've ever played with. We got to do full on action scenes. We got to like work with movie stars. It felt like my version of a big budget blockbuster. And, yeah. and then I was like, Oh, we're getting to go to South by. And, and I knew that Michelle Yeoh is, uh, does a very good job fighting <laughs> among other things in our movie. So I, I don't know, like uh, that screening in particular, I was like, Oh, this is gonna be so fun. You know, yeah. like, I don't know about the life of the film. Like my expectations were way lower there, but like as a person who's been to that festival and had a lot of fun at like crazy screenings of things like upstream color or uh spring, spring breakers, breakers. Like, yeah. I was oh, like, yeah, yeah. oh, this, these people are going to be friendly. Like this is going to be yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say that like after our first experience with Swiss army man at Sundance, like we were ready for anything. Like, it's not like, like we were ready for, people to you know to really not connect to some of it which is fine that's mo that's how most of our work has been but we we're ready for some critical backlash exactly you know? yeah and so the, honestly the the moment the the film finished and we were walking backstage i i felt i felt something i'd never felt before which was like this deep contentment this deep fulfillment um because I, we were backstage and jamie lee curtis had never seen the movie before and she mm. looked at me and she was bawling and she was just oh. tears on her face and she said okay I finally understand the movie, <laughs> and, uh, which was like incredible. Um, just, just to, to have someone like her be the first person I talked to after this movie, um, you know, a veteran who's done this so many times and seen, seen this process so many times to see her shook was like incredible. And then right off the bat, the, the first question we got at the Q and a, if you remember, was a question about intergenerational trauma and it oh, wasn't right, directed, right. It wasn't directed to Michelle Yeoh or Jamie, the curse or any of the actors. It was directed to us. And we were, we were like, Oh, this film, um, we thought this was going to be a really fun action movie that would surprise you with heart. And then that night we realized, oh, no, the heart is what is going to bring people to the theater. The heart mm -hmm. is what's going to have people talking about this movie for a while. And I uh, I've I've mentioned this in other other interviews, but like that night, I didn't look at my, my phone once, um, which is it's just a sign of how uh, happy I was for for just like one night, you know, <laughs> all these years of, of filmmaking just for one night of of contentment and just not having to look at the phone and, and just distract myself from my awful existence just kidding um 
You know, I, I, I'm going to geek out here because, I, as Jake mentioned, this is this is a filmmaking show. And I think one of the most extraordinary aspects about the film on a subconscious level is the way you shift the aspect ratio. And I think like as an audience member, when you watch it for the first time, you probably don't even realize what's going on because it's happening so quickly in your mind. But as you go back and watch it multiple times, you start to understand the brilliance of the editing and kind of the the reasons for the shifts in, in aspect ratio. And I was wondering if you could just walk through some some of those shifts and kind of like narratively what you wanted to intend and how you differ, how you lensed maybe each uh, part of the universe. I'm just curious, like kind of how that worked and like the choices for the aspect ratios and kind of, you know, again, I think at the end of the day, you want people to not notice it, but also it is a subconscious way for us to know which where we are in the exactly. world. So yeah. I'm just curious if you can speak on that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a great specific way to talk about genre in our film, right? The, the, so much of the, the lensing, the aspect ratio, the, even the, the, the grain structure that we were using uh, was very much inspired by specific genres and um, familiar, just visual tropes that we were playing with. Cause we wanted the audience to be able to know where they were at any given time without has having to say mm. the hot dog universe, you know, like we didn't want to have to do that every single time. And so um, with the the base universe, just the, the regular universe, that was just a simple 185 aspect yeah. ratio spherical lens. We wanted it to feel very mundane, but but cluttered and chaotic. And uh, one of the first time a big aspect ratio shift happens is when uh, Wayman is about to do the, the fanny pack fight and his head goes up. And as his head comes down, we watch the, the thing slowly shift into anamorphic and uh, and two, three, nine aspect ratio. And so from then on, we established, okay, anytime we're in this universe now, this the action universe, it's going to be two, three, nine. We're in, we're in this very cinematic space. But when we cut back to the, the laundromat party, we're back at one, eight, five mundanity or whatever. And so. Uh, Those became the two big ones. Yeah, and right. then we started sneaking a few more in there, like, like four, three for flashbacks to make you think about the past and going to like a two, one for the hot dog, which was kind of like Netflix's aspect ratio. <laughs> Cause we were just like, it's kind of like a, like a Netflix vibe is what we decided, but it was just also just, it wasn't yeah. a ratio we used yet. Right. Um, I, I, I love the two one because it, it's very much built for the algorithm of the compression algorithm, right? Two one is such an easier thing for the compression algorithm to, to calculate. And so anyway, I, I love nerding out about that kind of stuff. Where and we actually did, uh, you know, we, we always knew we wanted to do aspect ratio shifts and our, our, our cinematographer pushed back. He's like, guys, that's going to be like obnoxious. Like, but but uh, we we sold him on it, and then he actually switched lenses almost all the time. Every universe uh, has different. So shout pack. out to yeah. the assistant camera team, John Deese and Matt Sanderson, who had to like constantly like you know like it's more than just switching the lens. You have to switch the plate, the lens mounts, and stuff. And it's like yeah. midway through a scene, we would switch back and forth between spherical and anamorphic, like many times and they yeah. they had like several lens kits around like they their job was it's like they were shooting four right. movies you know but i i, oh I will God. say that the the reason why we believed it was going to work and why audiences would be okay with it is that we were watching i love um i love supercut montages of um of like cinematic moments in film or whatever on youtube so they would be like 
here's a hundred different uh, shots of someone kissing, or here's a diff- hundred different shots of two people holding hands from films. And like, mm-hmm. what's so lovely about those moments, these, these montages is that you feel a continuity just through the action or the idea or the emotion. And it doesn't matter that it's, it's a completely different aspect ratio, different, completely different compression. Some, some are obviously like 16 mil, 35, super 30, whatever, whatever. It's like everything all, all at once. And um, this film was very much meant to reflect the way that we consume media now which is very much uh, through youtube or through yeah scrolling on instagram scrolling on twitter and it, it's about the amalgamation of things could we find a way to uh yeah turn that into a film language mm-hmm. and it was nice to see it in the streaming by the way because uh, I, i'm a physical media fan and i have to buy the the blu-rays in order to get christopher nolan's imax shifts for like dunkirk and interstellar and stuff like yes. that and then a lot of these filmmakers They'll go to Blu-ray and like Dune, for example, Greg Fraser, they didn't even get the uh, the 143, uh, the 178 at home, I guess. And, mm. I, and I'm glad that you guys kept it on the digital release. I, I'm imagining that was like a, a talk you guys had to had, right, to keep that digital. It was I mean, that that was something that we kept like early on. Um, we were like, oh, oh, what are we going to do about the theatrical versus the the home? What, what's the yeah. simplest, elegant solution? Because I don't want to have to like read transfer like rethink every single time we're releasing on different mediums for a little while we thought about like doing a a version theatrically that would be where the whole movie would be uh delivered on the dcp as anamorphic and and in that version when he jumps there'd be black bars on the side that shrink as (laughs) opposed to black bars in the top and bottom that appear you know so it'd be going from like here to here <laughs> but we'd have to go through and literally redo a bunch of visual effects and things and, right. and yeah yeah uh we also wanted to do a version where the rock universe would be the only fully imax universe and we we're like we, we kind of wanted to go out into the desert with imax cameras and be like just shoot the shit out of those rocks uh, and then do a special dcp export you know where it's like nothing in the film but you're like holy shit you're in the rock universe but the, each of those ideas would have cost you know tens of thousands of uh, indulgent dollars and, and so yeah honestly yeah. The, yeah we went with the easiest solution which was like we just what we saw what we sent to the dc for as a dcp was exactly what we sent for the um yeah Blu-ray. yeah Wow. Same thing. Uh, guys, you were kind enough when you were here in Chicago to sign a pair of hot dog hands oh, for yes. me, which I have here in my apartment. And I've got the boys know I've got a lot of movie movie memorabilia in my apartment. I have more people coming over and asking me about the hot dog. Like, dude, like, where did you get those? Like, how, like, how do, how do I get? So please, I beg of you, tell me that you guys are on a shelf in your home. You have the butt plugs or you have the rocks or you have the hot dog hands <laughs> without context at all that they're yeah. just there on a shelf. No, uh, I I have I have um I have a butt plug. One of our um our our Tim Ulick, our our stunt coordinator, actually during the production asked um our uh, prop master Josh to recreate one, just build an extra one with our names on it. So it was a really sweet rap gift. So it says uh, director of the year, Daniel Kwan, director of the year. You know, it's, so that's a really nice little memento from the from the film. Um, and unfortunately, the rocks are at the bottom of a of a cliff we they, threw him off a cliff yeah <laughs> what? Really? why why for, for it's film. on camera yeah you saw oh, you saw that, it oh, oh that's right uh, <laughs> and then you didn't actually go grab them when you were like after you threw them off there's like a 24 intern down at the bottom with their hands in the air you guys have no idea how no for film fans out there don't 
go get them. Yeah. It's dangerous. It's like a that's a dangerous desert. It's not worth it. They're just rocks. We, it's not we, that dangerous though. Like if you really want, it's a literal <laughs> cliff. It's not worth it. I don't yeah. want to be like the Kamiko, the treasure hunter. Oh, you know, it's interesting. Spinoff yeah. where some. Fan I'm thinking about going now. Where, where was where was this? Where was this? I know. I'm not going to tell you. I'll tell you where we bought the rocks. Oh, that's that's safe. That's you know, good. it's okay. like okay. in Altadena, California. There's a rock store. They just it's sell a landscaping rocks. Rock it's a landscaping store. place yeah. right off the the freeway. They they cost like three dollars. Right. It's, right. Are they it's, aware it's that they rocks. sold like next to the Raiders Boulder, like two of the most famous rocks in movie history? <laughs> no, but I have BTS footage of us picking out the rocks. I love that you. Can- Compare it to the boulder from Indiana Jones. That's amazing. uh... Yeah, but but I I don't. I also I don't have memorabilia around my house. I I I feel like uh, sometimes I'll I'll have something sitting around that reminds me too much that I'm a filmmaker, and and it it kind of makes me feel crazy. Like I I try to make my home make me feel like a normal boy. (laughs) At at least use the farts from Swiss Army Man as a ringtone for something on your phone Mm. or something like that. You know, we have an office that we share that's filled with like memorabilia and stuff. We actually have a friend who, after watching our movie, after watching Swiss Army Man, they farted into a bottle and then they taped their ticket stub to the bottle and they gave it to. So we have their farts. Yeah, so it's yeah, you joke, but uh, your friends and all this this group would get along very (laughs) well. Why are we best friends? This is exactly the stuff that I talk about with my friends all the time. Oh no! Kevin has a bit at Junkets where he shows uh, ticket stubs from old movies to to stars. So he actually has a full collection. So Kevin, now you have to start putting them on the sides of bottles. Start farting in them before you give them to to the celebrities. Next time I see George Clooney, like, hey, I just farted in this Ocean's Eleven ticket stub. What do you think? Specifically for George Clooney, this is this is this is so exciting it's a way, it's a way to escalate the, the bit we've yes. escalated the bit um this is gonna be a weird question uh but i'm thrilled that i have this um and i, I got it the day it came out because i just wanted to be able to stop um on scenes and admire um your set design and your production mm, design which are loaded you. with details um Please. and i but I think that there's a is there a danger in getting lost in the in the specifics and the details and filling those in? Like what is a set ever done uh, for you guys or or could you constantly be fiddling with stuff? Mm. It's I think we we try to be directors that um, empower the crew to like do the details and and tell them what what matters narratively for the most part, you know, and okay. then there's certain sets that we get really in the weeds on, but like we told our whole crew, like to help them not have panic attacks when they, when we were prepping it, we would say this movie's about quantity, not quality. Like we will not be mad at you for bringing some shitty stuff to set because we're going for quantity here. Um, but there were certain sets, like we, we said the apartment that they live in was super important. And there were, we pulled a lot of references from, dan's childhood our producer's childhood like like to try to get like details of this immigrant home right and and make it feel lived in and so kelsey our set decorator that was the number one priority set you know was that opening sequence set you know their Mm. their apartment um but then a lot of the other ones we were like it can be crappy like like what's what's cheap like some universes we would just point the camera in a corner you know, and be like, yeah, yeah, well, uh, Michelle, uh, scream, you're in a universe, you know, 
Um, <laughs> and uh, but what, yeah. what often ends up happening was like I, I say there's like that there's like a 20 80 percent rule right 20 percent really matter 80 percent doesn't matter at all just give us whatever we can and we'll rewrite to whatever you find us okay. um, but often what happens is uh, something that our you know our set decorator I'll, I'll use Kelsey as an example um, something that she thinks is really important we'll put into the 80 percent bucket and she'll be like no 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 i'm gonna i'm gonna rescue this i'm gonna i'm gonna put it up into the 20 percent and so mm-hmm. uh one of the things that she really cared about was the the hot dog universe apartment we we're like don't worry make it bare bones it's not a, it's, it's 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 like a, it's a joke universe that eventually obviously you care about but like it does not i do not want we do not want you to spend too much time on it mm-hmm. but she was like so in love with the idea of making it this soft gentle weird place where everything is colored um flesh flesh hot dog flesh colors or brown or or, or yeah. ketchup colors or like she was like she has a, a very specific image and she's like i'm going to spend a lot of time on this one i'm sorry uh even though you guys told me not to do this and every every department did this every department took something out of the 80 percent don't worry about it pile and put it into the 20 percent pile and so we ended up making a movie that looks like you know a, a bigger it looks event. like we cared about everything exactly but, but really they cared about it you know process. Yeah. And, oh my god that process so becomes, is incredible so it looks like a 110 percent movie you know it's, it, rather than a, a 2080 it's like 3080 which does, it, it it's impossible it doesn't make any sense so that's why when right. people watch the movie they're like how did you do this well it's a lot of trust and it's a lot of um allowing people to chase passion uh, rakakuni is another good example we told jason hamer our, our uh, practical effects guy to, or one of our practical effects guys to be like give us a shitty puppet, whatever you can afford. Like we do not have money for this. Yeah. We're like, it, the joke's funny. Even if Rakakuni looks bad. Yeah. Uh, right. 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 And, uh, but he got very excited about making a, a full blown <laughs> animatronic that was, had multiple con- controls for like twist, rotation, tilt, ears, eyes. Tail. Like, uh, right, right. It has a humping action as well, which we didn't use enough. Of. Yeah. Uh, and it's so like, yeah, he came to set and we're like, holy cow, this is way better than we expected, you know? But, yeah. um, but he, he knew what mattered to us and he prioritized those gags. Like the hot dog hands had to look, good and right. and rakakuni did not have to look good uh, <laughs> but, he, but he chose to make that look great um yeah. i, I was That's just thinking incredible. there was like there was one shoot day that was kind of like the the quantity day um and it was very stressful for larkin our cinematographer who likes uh for it to look good um but he knew like <laughs> this is the day where we're just going to try to get a bunch of multiverses to kind of prove the point and i think we started in a bar where Jobu shows up watching the TV. Hmm. Um, then Michelle went and was a sign spinner. Then she went on to a bus. Then we went into this uh, rental, sp- this space filled with a bunch of janky standing sets that I think is gone now. But we had rented this uh, place, which is like the the shittiest sets in Hollywood are all in this one warehouse. And we ran yeah, it's, through. It's not, even, it's not even a soundstage. So like there is like audio is con- audio is bad. Like, yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, really it's like a closet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we walked through there and all in the same day shot them in the jail, them in the hospital, the baby being born, the martial arts competition, uh, the gymnastics flashback thing. Oh, actually we actually uh, cut that. Then there was like, yeah. An, yeah, there were two different gymnastics things we cut. Uh, we had a whole list of inserts we were grabbing that day michelle had to do like 12 costume changes um yeah 
It was this yeah. is why you guys are in awards consideration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, this you. is why. I keep thinking about that video of Chris Listen Nolan yourselves. writing the memento thing on the chalkboard. I don't know if you guys. That, that's that kind of that reminds me of like all the insanity you guys were doing with this, like oh, keeping oh, wow, everything in yeah. order. I, I want to geek out with you guys because uh, one of the things I really appreciate about the film and is the practicality of what we're seeing. Everything feels like it's in camera, mm. um, and. You know, we talked talk about the aspect ratio changes, but I want to nerd out about the, that fight sequence that you're referring to, the fanny packs fight sequence, which is obviously a phenomenal fight scene. And, and it's honestly just one of the most incredibly choreographed sequences I've seen in cinema, just because it's so Whoa. it's like it's like it's perfect. Like, like every yeah. bit of it, the hits, the sound design, just the performance of it. It just and it also at the same time for as ridiculous as something like that would be, it actually works perfectly mm. uh, in the moment. So I was wondering if you could just break down a little bit of the filmmaking behind that, like maybe some some of the ideas of how you shot it, how you achieved what you did in camera. I remember geeking out about that that couch when they would sink in and how that was practical. I mean, there's so many cool things, but can you talk about the, the fanny pack fight a bit and just in terms of production. For sure. Yeah, yeah. we um we were obsessed with you know the old school hong kong action movies growing up um that was definitely this was the moment where we were like okay we're announcing ourselves as a or the film is announcing itself as an action movie um and we wanted to make sure it just it um it felt like like we were committing so even like halfway through when you think the fight's over and then he fills the thing <laughs> with rocks it, like things like that are like everything that Jackie Chan and Jet Li, they would always do these kind of moments where you're like, okay, the fight's not over. Let's keep going. And just building that tension. So we wanted to create a film that uh, a sequence that felt like that felt as, as um, epic and fun and, and patient as some of that stuff could be. But um, the tough thing was we didn't have many days to do any of this stuff. Like um, Ki Hui Kwan, who actually performed the whole, a lot of the, that sequence, he used to be a um, stunt. He was on the stunt team for X-Men, Brian Singer's mm -hmm. X-Men, which is, uh, bizarre um but wow, so he, like a, he's a trained martial artist he, and he, he has a black black belt in taekwondo yeah um, but he was like when he found out we we only had one day to shoot the whole fanny pack sequence he was like we can't do this this would normally take two weeks on a normal movie you guys are going to try to do it in one day um and we were kind of like yep we're gonna see what we can do and um <laughs> but because it's because we we our team have we've been working together for so long we and we've all come up through music videos and music videos you have no time and you have to shoot a lot and it's all it all has to be like big impressive practical stuff it, you know music videos are so short that they can't be boring there's no time for you to to fill out the um whatever the the runtime with just like normal shots everything has to be magical and interesting and so uh we have confidence in our in our crew but i, I think a, a, a lot of it had to uh come like a lot of it came down to the experience of all working together and understanding each other um but then also we had the, the amazing team the marshall club uh, which were a bunch of uh, guys on youtube that we found who basically worshipped those films studied those films memorized every fight sequence that Michelle Yeoh's ever been in. Like they, like when they finally met Michelle, they could, they could talk to her through uh, fight scenes and she'd be like, Oh, I know that's, that's Wing Chun or, Oh, Oh, okay, great. That's yeah, whatever. She like, so um, having those boys um, help us shoot a previs. So we knew exactly what we needed mm -hmm. um, was super helpful. So they, and yeah, I think part of what made them great is that they're more than just uh good martial artists with, with, uh, fun fight ideas they're good filmmakers yeah they, like and and so like they shot these previses based on like our loose outline of the fight they shot these little short films in a warehouse that were uh 
already had good shots. You know, like I think yeah. sometimes we would watch really talented fight choreographers previses and be like, I just don't relate with their filmmaking. Like, and that's such a huge gap to be like, I just don't like your, I can't tell if I like this fight because the shots are so the opposite of what I would want. And, the, and these guys are so fun and playful. So we had that we'd been working on that for like a month or two and cutting it down and killing darlings. And so we had it shot and, for shot and like reshooting stuff that we wanted to get a little bit more specific, but we knew like beat for beat shot for shot, what the scene's going to be. We saw a lot of the problems that were coming down the pipeline. And so Tim Mulek, the stunt coordinator rehearsed the hell out of that scene. Every single fighter was also the actor. We didn't, we cast stunt people. Oh. So there were no, like no doubles, no doubles, no fear of continuity. It's like, no, that's <laughs> the guy. That's the guy that's going to do the thing. Um, and then we worked with our cinematographer to make sure the whole environment was pretty much pre-lit. So as we went through 60 different setups in one day, it was lit and, and he would tweak and adjust. And we shot list, we scheduled the day based on sunlight because there's the big atrium windows, but otherwise we made a lot of choices Right. To, to be able to just fly and have right. fun and for us to shoot it and for the actors to do the action. Yeah. That's the other thing. We did not want to have a second unit director do it because that's the, this is the reason why we wrote the movies. We wanted to direct some action. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> yeah. said that's how action movies work. Cause there's a stunt. There's a, there's a second unit director who's going to do the fun, the fights. Yeah. And, we're and like, I was like, no. fuck you. I quit. <laughs> you don't, if, if I don't get to shoot the shots hell where yeah. Michelle Yeoh like punches people. Like why right. did I fucking write this right. movie? I'm out. Like, right. Um, right. Yeah. Right. The, the, right. the last little tidbit I'll say is like we, because honestly we made this because we love action movies, so we're gonna, we're going to nerd out about it for a little bit. We were lucky enough to be at the Sundance Institute, the Sundance Labs in like 2014, 2015, and Quentin Tarantino was one of our advisors. He's this filmmaker. And have you heard of Quentin Tarantino? Um, <laughs> really name right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's a weird name, right? It's uh, um, yeah. He's he's a he's a European director. Yeah, no. he's um, but he uh, he. You know, we were talking about Swiss Iron Man, blah blah blah. But uh, Bill, uh, Kill Bill came up, and he started talking about the difference between shooting um, action in Hong Kong versus action here. And it's obvious now when we look at it. But he's like, "Oh, um, filmmakers here often, and this was a while ago, so things have changed. But filmmakers here often treat action scenes like they would a dialogue scene. You shoot the master, you get the close-ups. If you need a couple inserts, you get the inserts. Um, whereas." Uh, Yoon Woo Ping, you know, the great choreographer who's basically done every amazing Kung Fu movie you've ever seen, um, including the ones here in the U.S. Um, the way they do it is they they shoot it in order, one shot at a time, figuring out what is the best shot for this moment, for this specific punch, for this fall. Oh, should this be a combo where we hold it in a wide shot? But they're shooting it sequentially to get the, the basically the maximum narrative out of it. And I think that's why our, you, you say it's, it's, a, it's a very satisfying, fun thing that feels like it works is because every time every time we have an impact, we have to think, okay, what is the best way to shoot this impact? And it's 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 it, it, the whole thing feels so much more alive because of it uh, although not... we did not shoot that way yeah we, exactly i wish we could have but like we, we tried to <laughs> but we find were, a balance between we were, the two engineered it yeah but uh so we we tried to like we definitely didn't do the coverage thing you yeah. know we definitely did the shot for the action but still had to shoot it out of order yeah and, for... and plan it all in advance more than right. you know 
they did and back then, then. And then we managed to pull it off all in one day. We did go overtime that day, um, which was tough. It was a tough. Day. I hate going overtime. So yeah. I was it's like, insane. I was like, let's just, let's just do it. Let's get rid of some shots. I don't. That's insane. It's insane. One you guys did it in day. a day. That's yeah. ridiculous. It's just scene. ridiculous. Um, I think one. It was two days to do. Uh, the lead up everything it. in front of the elevator so like one okay. day was all the talking like really you want to divorce this paperwork punching deirdre oh i think even the chapstick was on the, the other day yeah and then one day was like all, all right fight yeah we're fighting wow. you know that's incredible yeah. um guys i really wish we had more time uh we love talking to you we're so right. happy to have you guys on the show thank you so much for taking some time out of your incredibly busy schedule uh, to you. be with us it's honestly it's my it's the best film i've seen this year and uh, thank I'm just, you thank you just in love with it so thanks for joining us guys we really thanks appreciate for having it. us this was really fun you guys you guys are great this is okay. i'm excited to see what, what you guys do with this but thank you so much for having us uh, thank Come you on, so anytime. much yeah congratulations great. to you guys thanks, thanks, for thanks, thanks for making us movies that don't, make us want to go to the film for the rocks <laughs> but thank you for your compliment and don't go looking for those rocks All right. maybe <laughs> see maybe you find the rocks This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. We want to thank uh, Daniel and Dan for joining us. Hopefully they become return guests. I say that all the time, um, but those guys really seem to enjoy geeking <laughs> out about uh, the small things, the small techniques that come with filmmaking and putting together a movie that like I, ca- I cannot even comprehend how they maintained the continuity of their story. Um, and and when Kevin, you start asking about aspect ratios, but aspect ratios shifting in multiple times in the middle of scenes and how frustrating that is for their DP and the people who have to take care of all the tech that goes with the DP. I, I, I could listen to them talk about making that one movie <laughs> legitimately for a month. And don't so you guys feel, I, I never really thought much about this, but I feel like it's become 
a topic, you know, we had this, Kevin and I had a moment with Jordan Peele earlier this summer. And, and I know it's been a thing with Denis Villeneuve and, and, and Dune, but like, it's gotta be really frustrating for filmmakers these days to not just worry about the product that's going out in theaters, but now having to worry about not having control over what it's going to look like at home. Like that feels right. like a whole other set of concerns that honestly a filmmaker shouldn't have to worry about. Like, like, right. I, I, like hearing them talk about what we thought about having to change the entire film because of what it will look like, yeah. you know, which is, which is, you know, moving forward after it leaves theater, you know, it's only going to be in theaters for let's call it what six months. And then from, you know, in perpetuity, it's at home. So really, you have to be more almost more concerned about what it looks like at home than what it looks like right. in theaters. And that shouldn't be the case. Like, it almost makes me feel bad for these filmmakers that right. I mean, that shouldn't be a concern. It should just be this is the movie we made. And at home, it's going to look the exact same. And that's the and I'm so glad you brought that up, because two things. One, uh, in terms of the asset ratio discussion, one of the things that as a viewer, when you watch everything everywhere all at once for the first time, you're most general audiences are not going to notice it. You're not supposed to like, it's supposed to be a completely subconscious thing that just lets you know where you are in the movie. But as you go back and rewatch it multiple times, the one that they brought up specifically was right when we go into the fanny pack fight, how the screen just goes down into the wide screen and they were physically moving this, the frame and the aspect ratio into the scene, which is really cool. But to Jake's point, one of the things that was really frustrating, we saw this with Dune is that, you know, Dune was filmed with this IMAX ratio for these dream sequences and the, and, and the se- sequences in the desert and everything. And then the, the release just came out in pure widescreen. Nope is another example where if you don't get the physical disc for Nope, you cannot see the IMAX transitions that you saw. Sean in prefers Peacock with the commercial right. breaks. Well, here's the thing. I think you guys are talking about like the 1%. Like, I think there's a 1% of filmmakers that are like extremely concerned about sure. this. And then for everything else, there's like the smiles of the world and the man from autos of the 100%. world. I, th- I think it's bigger should. than 1%. I, I I feel like if you're if see, if you think about it this way, think, think about box office numbers. And you see like numbers for like Dune. I can't do another box office conversation. No, 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 no. This is this is not a Scorsese thing. This is more of like a like when when uh, what was the big? There was a big uh, IMAX film that came out recently where we're like we were tra- people were tracking how many people were going to the theaters just to see it in IMAX because was it Top Gun re-release. It may have been Top Gun. Top Gun's uh, yes, because Top Gun shot coming in, back to theaters right, and they shot in IMAX for the sequences within the in the flying. And kudos to Top Gun. Their digital and their physical release both shift IMAX aspect ratios. Mm. So when you're within the middle of watching Top Gun on iTunes or streaming it, you do get those jumps in those transitions. Because at the end of the day, Sean's brought up a point before, and this is not this is not a, a, an uncommon point. When Nolan started doing this years ago with Dark Knight and, you know, and, and just this shift to IMAX, this a gigantic shift, what he was doing with these cameras and, 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 the, and the changing of the quality of a, of a 65 millimeter IMAX image to a 35 millimeter IMAX image. Sean said it's, it, it can be distracting. And I think back then they were, there was no protocol on how to do it, when to do it. It was just doing it for how cool it would look. And then as filmmakers learned, they were like, oh, what if we did it narratively? What if we started messing yeah. around with it from a, story perspective and like jordan peele told our show he did it when you when you weren't expecting it so it punches you in the face kind of thing Mm. so it's gotten to a point where filmmakers are taking advantage now of the tool just like a lighting or or a a score or any type of other tool they would use to enhance a sequence um it's becoming more and more important and i think that's kind of what's happening now and and you heard the daniels talking about it and their their film 
on streaming gives you all the transitions, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Yeah, what you have to ask? I was just, I was just going to add before we move on. Um, the my favorite in recent memory, the as far as like aspect ratio shifting trick, and for a narrative reason, is still it comes at night. To me, uh, that the because he as that oh. as that gets more claustrophobic, and as that story yeah. becomes goes from being like very very kind of slow and just um suspenseful is, is a bit of the word but it's just you're, you're yeah. like you're you're anticipating what's going to happen and then as that ramps up he just slowly until until the the aspect ratio is mm. very thin uh, um makes me nervous just thinking about it well it's so a tool good. and then la- last thing i'll say is i know we're about to move on uh william we'll talk about this when we get to the whale and hopefully we'll get aronofsky on the show if it happens um but the whale is shot completely for three the entire film is a bot, a one three three, which is basically the aspect ratio Snyder did Justice League in. Yeah, because you feel like you're in an apartment in a box the mm. whole time. And that's yeah. cool, and it works. All right, so we had a conversation on the premium about the box office, <laughs> and um, that's not why we're bringing this up. Um, but this is an interesting talking point with regards to Glass Onion because that's the story that we're getting to next. And we're discussing if anyone, if anyone thought that hang on, hang on. If anyone thought that the premium discussion meant we weren't going to talk box office on this show, you're mistaken. No, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah we're that's crazy. Of course, we're going to talk box office on this show because there's still some really interesting aspects for specific movies. And for this one in particular, Glass Onion um, going to a limited theatrical push uh, Netflix and doing a 13.2 million in only 696 theaters. Now that goes to show that like per theater, it was doing extremely well. You saw reports from uh, different people, audience members who were going to screenings uh, on Twitter, talking about how their screenings were mostly packed. It was tough to get seats, uh, sold out shows in different, in different areas. When we had Ryan on our show, uh, he talked about, you could see the look on his face of like the, the fear that he had of people not being able to get to a theater to see it, knowing how badly uh, his audience and fan base really wants to go see it in the theater. Uh, you heard all the things that we were saying about it, of like how well it plays with an audience. Um, and so, you know, we're paying a lot of attention to what that number means, the 13.2 million and the only 696 theaters and questioning um, why doesn't Netflix leave it in theaters longer? There isn't another big movie that's in theaters until probably Avatar, which is December 16th, I want to say. Um, yep. You know, you have Man Called Otto, and uh, is that opening before that? Like, I looked at the December. You're muted, Jakey. I looked at the December release. That's but, January. Um, Sorry, I've been coughing. Oh, um, is it Man really January? Is January. Yeah, I think they're okay. doing uh, the limited January in New York at the end of December and then wide in January, which, which honestly, that feels like the perfect January. Move. Like, let... Let Avatar have a few weeks to itself and then sure. this sort of, you know, counter programming of look, Tom Hanks is grumpy. Comedy comes out. Yes, Gabe. I want to mention something anecdotal, which we like to do when we talk about these things. I've had this week several friends reach out and be like, hey, I think I'm going to finally go see I'm going to go see Glass Onion. And I'm like, oh. well, mm. are you, though? You can't. And they're like, what? <laughs> I just heard yeah. that, you know, it didn't yeah, really well. People, most saw, people, people really I know liked it. Don't uh, know that it's a limited release. I honestly, I honestly, honestly think what today's the last day, the day we're recording Wednesday, November 30th, starting tomorrow, yesterday. Well, I think starting today, there are a lot of people who are showing up at the theater or are refreshing their phone over and over again. Yeah, it's unfortunate because it's unfortunate. I think we wanted it to just be released fully in theaters, but it does. It is unfortunate that they didn't even give it the chance to have some word of mouth screenings, you know, within the next week. Like the fact they only gave it that. Those few days mm. is I read 
It's a bummer. I read somewhere, and I could be wrong, and I, I don't want to quote this to anything, but I read that that it may have been strategically done this way in a way where they put it out for a week with the with the hope that it would create a want for more, and that it would go, oh, I missed it. Now I need to now I need to watch it on Netflix in three weeks, and I think. Like, that's the whole thing is like in, in from what from the article that I read, there's different schools of thoughts of how Netflix operates. And like, this is the first time I believe in like yeah, that a Netflix film has officially been released in an AMC and Regal theater. Yes, that was yeah, like that a, that was it was a groundbreaking deal. Yes. And that, that was, was a big, big deal. And I think I, because that's why, like, you know, we joke sometimes about how when we do screenings for Netflix, we can't do them at AMCs and Regals because they don't allow them. But in this case, sure. there was a deal made where they were like, oh, we'll do the 23rd or the 29th of November. It's Thanksgiving. We'll give you one week and then we'll stream on the 23rd. Now, generally speaking with Netflix, like with uh, Pinocchio, for example, like we're going to have Guillermo del Toro on the show, you know. That is a release that came out, I think, two or three weeks prior in theaters. And then it will be in theaters up till December 9th, which is the streaming release. And sometimes gotcha. even carry over. Um, this Emancipation is very, too. Emancipation is right. going to theaters December 2nd and it'll right. stay in theaters until. But it's only a week. It's a week. Right. But now this is a unique case because they put it in theaters and then ripped it. And now yeah. we don't have it streaming. So the question, uh, you know, we all were questioning why not extend it? And I think the biggest thing that I understood from the articles I was reading was this was literally the plan was like to for us to be like, oh, wait, we can't see it anymore. Why? What happened? Why was it limited? Oh, everyone's talking about it. Wait, mm. I got to wait now three weeks. So they hope their their main hope is that you watch it on the platform. That's what, oh, that's what they want. Yeah, that's I, my I, big. I, I think it's backwards thinking, though, in my mind. Well, it's it's this week. That's the case, but what is the audience going to feel, you know, between know. now and but when Avatar happens? You know, like it is it's, weird. It's just it's like fizzle by the time you get there, right? I, why, why, why wouldn't you do it the week before? Like, like I guess if I'm if I'm marketing, why would you not put it if it, if it streams on the 23rd? I guess you're going against Avatar at that point because Avatar drops the 16th. And then well, there's the thing: don't stream the 23rd. Stream stream this Friday. No, that's what I'm saying. What what if what if so Gabe's point is this like like okay we just we just came out of the of the of the 23rd to 29th release and now we have 24 days until it releases on Netflix. So right yeah. now we're talking about it but in, but next week it's going to be a, a a back of our mind conversation and then it'll reemerge when the streaming comes out. I think Gabe's point and I don't want to speak for Gabe but if wouldn't it be smarter to have released it for a week in theaters and then taken it out the day before it streams? I think it's fair. I think it's fair for the, if, if they are going for that strategy, I, I think it's totally fair to try it out. I, I, I mainly say that as of like, well, it could kind of end up not being anything if people not forget about it, but like it's different that you're the right. Interest the, the, right now today seems to be very high for people because it's not available and sure. Okay. You're creating this, this momentum. sense of this sense of scarcity, but by then, you know, people's minds move on very quickly to give Knives Out credit, to give that franchise credit. I do think it is a special case where, like, people really enjoyed that first movie. It is really yeah. entertaining. And this one is getting such good reviews that net, maybe for this, that doesn't matter. And I think people are going to be excited to see it wherever they can see it. So. But they spent $450 million reportedly on sure. two yeah. Knives Out films. And like and at the end of the day, we all discuss this a lot on the show how is Netflix actually making money? Right. And like, and that, you know, and while they have millions of subscribers and you could base the number of hours people watched Wednesday, for example, but you know, at the end of the day, how do you, 
define your profit. And I get that that becomes from the subscriptions and how much they're making and how much they're putting into films. But if you spend four fifty on two Knives Out movies, what did, what did the first one make? Three hundred and eleven million or whatever it was. I read a, st- a stat yesterday that this movie could have easily done three hundred million worldwide had it been given a proper release structure. Now, if I'm Netflix, I think the second one you're releasing, the next Knives Out, you really need to strategically build a 45-day theatrical experience of that movie, then go to streaming. Because, like, Gabe's brought this up before. Netflix is now a legit studio, just like Paramount, Universal, Warner Brothers, right? So their brand, if they can make a deal with AMC and go, all right, we're now one of those guys... So give us the 45 day window, then we'll go to our platform. It's the same reason people don't go to theaters and they just wait for the home video release. Anyways, if you're not interested in going to a theater, you'll just wait for it to hit Netflix. So I think there's a lesson to be learned here because I think and I think you guys all agree they're missing out on millions and millions and millions of box office dollars um, by taking this out of the theaters. And this was always the plan. This is not a surprise. It's just it's just kind of like you're kind of like throwing away money. Jakey, what's your take? I mean, this sort of reminds me of that really great speech at the end of Moneyball where the um, what is it? The owner of the Red Sox tells Brad Pitt, like, you're the first one through the door, like you're going to take all the hits like Netflix. None of the streaming services have ever really done anything like this before where they want to capitalize on a movie at the box office, but also capitalize on as a streaming service. I think we are moving into a future where Netflix is going to be putting out their their major titles in theaters for a couple of months before putting it to Netflix. This is just them dipping the toe in the water. Unfortunately, I feel like it's yielded more negative press than anything. Like Kevin said, every headline over the last 72 hours about this movie has been about how much money they left on the table. But this is the this is their first attempt. This is their first attempt. I mean, it was never this going to go. Plan. Yeah, I, I mean, this was never they were never going to go from we're a streaming service through and through to here's a movie with a three month theatrical exclusivity. You right. know, they 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 tried the weak thing. They realized, holy crap, look how much money we we left. We screwed up. We messed up. They're now trying to overcompensate by putting it back in theaters after it's already available to people streaming, which I think is also a mistake. But again, to sort of quote the Moneyball speech, like there, this is the first one through the door. It's going to take all the slings and arrows. This is this is it's going to take all the yeah, hits, but, you know, but, and now, but now they can get it right from here on out. Here's the thing about it, though, and this is where this is where I differ from what you guys are saying. I don't think that this is a mistake for them um, because Netflix as a company is 100% a streaming service. So for now, everything that they're doing they, is is driving yeah. people to go I mean, check they, out they things do, but, on their streaming but, but service. Yeah, they, they, used to be, they used to be a DVD, DVD delivery service. Hold on. I know. Yeah. I understand. But they create a buzz uh, for a week and everybody says, well, how come this didn't stay longer in theaters? But they don't want their movies in theaters. They want their movies on their streaming service, the majority of them. So then they send everybody over to the streaming service because one of the things that they want to do is to be able to pump up numbers of views and amount of things that are watched on their streaming service. Because now there is an alternative on Netflix for a paid subscription, you know, where you get advertising. You pay a little bit less, but you get advertising. So now they have to start showing some statistics over there to show that people are turning things on on Netflix and keeping them on for a longer period of time so they could sell to advertisers. That's where they're going to make a lot of their money back. Like it would be nice for them to get a a, a knives out every once in a while that maybe does 300 million. But think about all the other um, movies that Netflix are putting on their streaming service on a regular basis that would never go to a theater. I was just um, about know- to say the same thing. I was about to say like like. Gray Man and Six Underground, these movies that cost 200 million plus 
uh, I feel like wouldn't have done that well in theaters with a wide release as something like a Knives Out because Knives Out was a built-in franchise. It had an interest. It's sure. funny. Like, it's I think six, like, I, like I think Six Underground and Gray Man are, 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 are films that would be designed for theater. They're Michael Bay and the Russo brothers. But those are movies that would not have had, I, in my opinion, I could be wrong, but I don't think they would have had gigantic box office monumental milestones. I think they would have done fine. Knives Out is just based purely off the curiosity of how much people love the first one. And yeah. that's why it works. So it's almost well, like kind of Sean saying like you, you certain movies will work for, for this format. But like even if Netflix got exclusivity to like Mission Impossible, for example, like I know it's Paramount, but if they had Mission Impossible seven. Of course, you could, want to put could that happen in somewhere down the right. line. You never know. But I'm then just, today yeah. in, an, in an article in a cover story that James Cameron did for The Hollywood Reporter, which I read from start to finish by the end of that article, James Cameron was saying this, and I think this is really important for us to consider as a show that we are doing. He said during the pandemic, he was on Zooms with Steven Spielberg and Guillermo del Toro. And the three of them were lamenting to themselves, guys, we're out of business. Like movie theaters are not going to survive this. We're not going to have the ability to do what we do, which is tell stories on a big on a big level. And then Cameron said, well, all right, I got to rethink this isn't isn't necessarily the case. They are telling stories in other medium. I might just have to shift the type of story that I tell. He goes, look at the types of things they're doing with huge budgets on streaming services. Maybe that's where I'll be in a couple of years. It's Jim Cameron saying that, like, I might be yeah. heading to a streaming service one day. It's like. You'll never hear Christopher I, Nolan say that. Say maybe that right not, now. but Nolan is an anomaly. He's without a doubt an anomaly. Him and Spielberg are. Scorsese went. Scorsese, Scorsese went. went. You could get Nolan if you gave him the money that he needed to tell whatever story that he can't get told anywhere else. And you gave him a 45 day window. True. Now, that's, that's the, true. Yes. Yes. That's and true. I, and that's that incentive. Me, that's incentive for Netflix. For sure. Exactly. Give Cameron a 45 day window for Avatar seven and then put it and, 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 and then put it on you know, how much money, you know how much money they would have to spend to buy avatar seven if we ever get it he literally said he goes i'll be 89 uh by the time part six and seven come out hey, Sean, he's talking you, realistically how far did you get into terminator 2 today uh i turned it off after the motorcycle uh truck chase which was phenomenal but then right i had the beginning i had work to do yeah i had work to do I remember I just off. put it on the background. I just it was like back, background noise. Everyone, then I'd look up everyone's on an island. Turns it off. I I did today. <laughs> uh, all right, we're gonna get to a review of Andor, which Jake and I got a chance to see all the way through to the end, and then we're gonna add it to our Star Wars tier list. Um, I was so I said this at the beginning of the series, first couple episodes. I was like, this is starting to feel like some of the best Star Wars that I've seen since. Um, Disney took over Lucasfilm and that includes I put it above uh, Force Awakens and I put it uh, above Rogue One because it did to me what Rogue One did, which was um, introduce new characters that we hadn't seen in the world before, but still felt very much like they were part of the Star Wars galaxy, told a story that was tangentially uh, connected to one of the Star Wars films, in this case, leading up into A New Hope, but making you uh, get invested in a whole slew of new characters. And this was after the first Three episodes, which we're not going to get into spoilers here. This is a spoiler free conversation. Gabe, is that right? Spoiler free. Spoiler free. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, the story goes 
in a number of different directions following the three episodes that I watched. And by the end of it, um, I am now 100% convinced that it's the best Star Wars that uh, I've seen outside of, I would say, New Hope and, and Empire Strikes Back. And it is just, I, I credit Tony Gilroy. I credit Toby Haynes, who's the director who handled a, a number of the episodes. There were a few other directors sprinkled in. They're all dialed into this main story. I credit the cast. Uh, Diego Luna has been fantastic as Cassian Andor. Andy Serkis came in for a three-three uh, three episode arc and knocked it out of the park. Um, it's just it was it was incredible from start to finish. And when it ended, I, I legitimately couldn't wait for it to continue. And I haven't felt that way about Star Wars in a really long time. Like sitting through uh, Obi Wan and uh, pushing myself through things like uh, the Book of um, Boba Fett, you know, which kind of went off the rails. Um, I, and I loved Mandalorian. I really did enjoy Mandalorian, but I think Andor is even on another level, I think, in terms of the storytelling. And it, it's Tony Gilroy is the perfect guy for this type of storytelling because he has a, a good political sense. He really dials into the haves and have nots of the people who are in the rebellion and the people who are in the empire uh, and and the motivations that can spark the people in the rebellion to get involved, um, even some of the people who you would never expect to uh, to rise up and fight. And there's uh, elements in the in the finale. Uh, there's a, a speech from a, a person who's very important to Cassian Andor uh, that just had me wanting to stand up and run through the wall, you know, for the rebellion. And I haven't felt that way in a really long time. I don't think that the the three movies that started with Force Awakens did a whole heck of a lot to to make me feel part of the rebellion. They would mention it here and there. They'd cut back to Carrie uh, Fisher, you know, trying to motivate the troops from wherever she was at. But that that always felt disconnected from the story that I think they were trying to tell at heart. Andor gets totally into it. Uh, I loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, and I hope Jake liked it as much as I did. <laughs> I have a quick question, Sean. In that speech, is that the speech where the guy says they swim now? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. I, I, I was, was trying to remember. Okay. That was you. it. Yes. I love that speech. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. You know, it's funny. I was um with something that is this good. I instantly start getting pessimistic because I'm afraid that Disney and Lucasfilm will learn the wrong lessons uh, from from why this is so good and why people are responding so well. But I think it it says something that. Um, there's a moment near the end of Andor where music starts playing at a funeral mm. and that moment, not a lot of special effects, not a lot of pomp and circumstance. It's just a simple moment where music plays at a funeral and it is more effective, more exciting, more dramatic, more powerful than anything we've seen from Star Wars, maybe since Disney bought it. And I just wish that they would look at that and go, the simplicity of this moment. Why does this moment work so well? And we throw all of this money at Book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan and, and, and it doesn't have a fraction of the emotional impact that this singular, quiet, little cheap moment, not cheap, cheap is the wrong word, but less expensive moment in, in Andor had. Um, I mean, it, it goes back and we, I've talked a lot about this. As simple as it sounds, shooting on location. Like making me feel like one, getting your ass off of Tatooine, yeah. showing that there are other planets in this vast, wide galaxy of far, you know, far, far away. And 
making us feel like these worlds are tangible. Like we, like we know what they feel like, like, you know, it's, it's the same problem I'm starting to have with MCU is the same problem I started having with star Wars is that you can look at the, all of these series lately and you can almost see that, that screen behind them and them standing in front of it and whatever props it is. And this was shot on location. It's shot here and it's shot there. And, and it also the, you know, I've been scoffing at, um, you know, uh, plus sized seasons lately. Whenever I first heard 12 episodes for Andor, I thought, my God, like what, what could possibly, but it's also a reminder that like one, sometimes these stories need time. Mm -hmm. And also not every episode needs to have these big, massive action beats. If it's written well enough and the other ones haven't been quite frankly, if it's written well enough, the characters and the story are sufficient. You don't need to distract me with special effects and explosions if if the stories are good. I mean, my favorite moment in all of Star Wars is I love you and I know. It has nothing to do with special effects or explosions or anything. Like it's, what, about, it's, what about like a 50s-inspired neon-colored uh, biker game? I, okay, that I, I'm a little <laughs> bit more forgiving because that really did feel like a tip of the cap to George Lucas yeah. and um, an American Graffiti. So I was a little bit more forgiving of that than most people were. Um but it's just like I just really hope that and I don't I don't know what the ratings for Andor have been compared to everything else. But the general reaction has Who been knows? undeniably positive. And I just hope that Disney looks at, at what's happening with Andor going like maybe we should start making stuff like this. And I, I, I worry that just based on my pessimism of how this industry works, I worry that it's going to be the exception and not the rule. Well, I think Ahsoka, I've heard really good things about Ahsoka because it's Dave Filoni yeah. basically shepherding it along and he loves that character. Extreme, and I think Rosario is perfect for that part. Um, and to talk about shooting on location, like you mentioned, like there's a moment where without spoilers, Cassian has to sort of run away to someplace and he lands at a place that kind of looks like the French Riviera. Right. Yeah. But it has stormtroopers all over it. And when we arrived there, it was so jarring to me because I hadn't seen Star Wars in yeah. a location that looked so totally different from anything that we'd seen. And but yet they were weaving it into a Star Wars yeah. movie. I was like, oh, wow, this is so yeah. cool. Stay here. And, for and, a there's, bit. and there are it. ways of integrating other places we know there's a very quick one-off line where a character is berating her husband for being a gambler and she yeah. says something along the lines of like if you have to go to canto bite and yeah. just that yeah. one little line honestly made the canto bite sequence in last jedi which i hate so much i hate that sequence but even it sort of made it made me go like okay it added a layer because it reminded me that like these planets are out there you don't have to keep going back to planets that we've seen a thousand times before but like reminding us that they exist but then take us to new places make us fall in love with these other planets in the same way that you made us fall in love with hoth like in all honesty how have we not been back to hoth i know we go back to to, like not that i I know i just berated like star wars for using the same planets over but it's just like it's just amazing that like we like i I, like the the one the one planet they love going back to is the most dry desolate boring planet (laughs) in all of the galaxy but you've got this cool ice planet and you've got indoor and you've got i will say you know if we're given the last jedi i love it's salt planet is is its version of a hoth planet so (laughs) 
it is, and, and visually, oh, that's it, it's, that's visually <laughs> one of my favorite planets that's, that's on in Star thing. Wars. Yes, yeah. that is. Yeah. But like I the the image of the ripping up of and the, like the red flying. Like, look, I, I by no means am I a Last Jedi fan, but even I will admit that that it's almost yeah. one of the most beautiful, gorgeous visuals. Well, would you two in gentlemen, Star Wars? Would you two gentlemen like to uh, add this to our Star Wars tier list? Let's I'd do love it. to. Yeah, I just like the scene when they were trying to figure out his name, and the mom was like and or and we could do like yeah and then they figured it out i thought that was just uh, you've been doing you've been doing yoga kevin because uh, you're yeah. stretching huh it's good yeah. kevin so badly wants to be a part of this conversation but he hasn't seen andor yet the mom was Kev, like and Kev, did you start it did you get I've any seen, I, i've seen episodes eight and nine i think that that hurts my soul a little bit i know why it. you had you had to watch them for the Andy circus interview interviews but yeah. that but that hurts my soul a little bit they swim now no, i'm just excited about that it's true i um i put the fable men's in for michelle but we started at the two hour and ten minute mark and just watched oh, it till the end that's a great idea she was very confused yeah, yeah. But, Who, uh, um, which still laughed at the final shot <laughs> which of you two want to kick off uh sean where do where do you put yeah, it yeah, it's this, an S. this could be and or an A or S. All right, all right. All it's right, an S. Right. I think it's an S, and I think it's an unquestionable S. I love that. Jake? This is where it's going to get complicated. I think it is a very strong A. I think okay. I think S, particularly with Star Wars, comes with time and perspective, of which we've had neither yeah. when it comes to Andor. Um, I, it's not to say that in 10 years I won't look back and go, oh, yeah, absolutely, in the, in the grand scope of Star Wars and how it has sat with me. I'm not comfortable particularly not comfortable rating it above a new hope and return of the Jedi, which I know shouldn't be a thing, but it very much is a thing. Um, so I, I, for me, it is a, a very strong, well, respectable a, and again, while we're not comparing to where things are on the tier, um, putting it on the same parallel as rogue one makes sense to me. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's half the story right now. Sure. Um, there are still a number of, of major things that have to happen. So I, I can I can backpedal to an A. I'm all right with that. All right. Wait, it's what's our S? And it's Empire? not to say, yeah, it's, it's not to say that, like, you know, by the time Andor is done, that um, that I won't look. Because here's the thing. What's funny is and I love Mandalorian. I, I don't really know how Mandalorian is going to wrap up, but I have a feeling mm. like that's probably always at its most going to be an A for me. Probably. Yeah. Andor to me has the potential to head into S territory. I, it's just hard to judge it. And it's in and it's incompleteness right now. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. All right. It's well, an A. It's an A. There we go. But Dan, it, it, isn't it crazy? Like, think back I, to I think what was it? It was it March or April when that first Obi Wan trailer dropped. And I remember, dude, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. I'll be the first person to be like Andor. Like, why? Who who cares about Andor? Why do we need a and and I flash forward and. Obi Wan is the series. I'm going. Why does that exist? And Andor is yeah. the one. I'm going. Oh, thank God, Star Wars is back. Well, I and heading into the release of Obi Wan, like I've got a few friends at Lucasfilm, and they were sending messages of like for Obi Wan, like this is the one. Like they're really the excited. He about it. It was a typo. It was a typo. <laughs> yeah. This, this is, is Obi Wan. <laughs> this is Obi Wan. That's what they were like, trying to say. They this were is hyped. The one. They were hyped for that one. They thought the, yeah. the teaming of uh, Hayden and and you and again was. I mean, be, this is I, the one. our tier list. I think we put it at a C. James Wan. And I don't remember where I had it, but like Obi Wan did have great moments. That's fine. They were few moments. and far between. Is it? I'm, I'm excited. Quick, I'm excited to catch up on it. Like, like, uh, like, like, like this week's premium episode. It mostly just ain't made me angry, and I was happy to turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs>
All right, let's go to a quick ad break. We'll see you guys. It was full of characters I love, but my God, it angered me. And we are back. Okay, so um, we mentioned that Glass Onion was not taking advantage of the theaters, but Paramount wisely has decided that uh, there's an opening. Why don't we put Top Gun back in theaters? And it's uh, I think it's serving two uh, sides. It's essentially going to allow people to go see it on the big screen, which is this mo- is a movie made for the big screen and, and these larger screen formats. Um, but this is an awards season as well, too. And Top Gun is a player. And so I do think coming back to theaters and generating some headlines around the types of, uh, you know, more box office showing the type of muscle that this movie has. Uh, is going to affect some people who are putting their lists together, of which the three of us are Critics' Choice Association members, and our ballots are due soon. Um, and so this is a strategic play on Paramount's part as well, too. Jakey. I have a quick question for you, because I know you are a fan of nice round numbers. Last I, I checked, it was at like $1.486 billion, oh, which means oh. it only needs like... 15 million or so to hit that 1.5 does it have another 15 in it oh yeah oh i think it does honestly but at first i was like oh only 15 but like a lot of money i mean i I don't want to go see it again 15 is a it's coming to imax it's coming to imax as well let me this is a this is a number i saw today and it really surprised me well this is global this was globally when right. Avatar re-released in September, it did another seventy-six yeah, million dollars. Yeah, but it had been dollars. literally it had been literally years it since it left 4K. theaters. It was new, uh, and also yeah, yeah, you had the you had this new sequel coming out, and so a lot of people felt like, oh, I want to go see this one before two comes out. Avatar okay. just left theaters, and a lot of people have it on their Top TVs. Gun. I'm sorry, yes, I'm sorry. Top Gun had just left theaters, and a lot of yeah. people just bought it at home. Right. Within the past couple of weeks, um, I just, you know, as crazy as it sounds, 15 million might be a lot. I actually am leaning more with Kevin and that Speaking, like, I hope it does, because I'd love for it to hit that one point five billion dollar mark. I think that possible. I think that you're you're not wrong. And I won't be surprised if you're if you're correct in that assessment. But you might be underestimating the sort of meme factor of Top Gun. Like Top Gun was like so big culturally as like the cool thing to go see. Everyone was talking about it. <laughs> I could see large groups of friends being like, that movie was so kick-ass. And the movie is so exciting in theaters that people would be like, one more chance to go see that again? Let's let's ride or whatever they say. What that's that's how they should, um, honestly, that's off. how they should sell it. Like, look, we're about, you know, remember like back in the day when Disney would release, or you know, movies on VHS and they marketed as buy it before we put it back in the vault. Oh, it yeah, really yeah, made yeah. it sound yeah, like, oh yeah. my God, I gotta, I gotta get it right now or I'll never be able to get it. They really yeah. should market it in such a way like see it on the big screen for the last time or something like really kind of make it a like look this you're not going to get this chance again kind of thing that's that would be very smart i would this go see the it second for re-release they've done it is <laughs> yes, by it the is. way this is not the well, first that's how, thin, that's how thin the calendar is this year the release calendar. i know right. i know you know what else oh. you get re-released is morbius what if we get yes. morbius back in theaters we did well for a second speaking second. of <laughs> speaking of uh of numbers uh, i read this today doesn't the first avatar it made 2.92 billion dollars yeah. so uh. could that ever cross three? Oh, 100 because it because th- that movie will see re-releases for decades yeah wow. yeah interesting and like before, getting, before three comes out they'll they'll put one and two they'll back double in the up they'll double up yeah. the and they're already doubling up for yeah. uh for this one right isn't amc do at least amc doing like oh the, that's a good point yeah. Does, that, does that count towards Avatar one box office? I sure, so. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, oh, just wow. think like before seven comes out, they'll put one, two, three, four, five, six, <laughs> right in theaters. <laughs> True. 
It's true. And then pretty soon we'll live in a world where it'll just be theaters full of avatars. That's right. And and then when seven comes out, everyone thought it was going to be Marvel superheroes, but it's just much bluer than we thought. Seven's going to be. They're going to. They're going to double bill that with Furious Seven when Avatar Seven comes out. You know why? Why not? Actually, same exact plot line. Those movies. Uh, and, hey, to be fair, they are both about family. That's true. The reason <laughs> why true. <laughs> the reason why Top Gun's coming back is because the only other alternate out there right now, aside from some of the uh, art house films that are making their way for Oscar consideration, things like Empire of Light uh, and The Whale, and um, films that you can go see in the uh, movie theaters around you, is Violent Night. So this is David Harbour playing Santa Claus in a movie that I've heard described multiple times as half Die Hard, half Home Alone. Um, but with an R-rated sort of grisly take. I did not see it. The boys did. Uh, Jakey, what's your take on Violent Night? I mean, this is one of those very unsexy reviews, but I thought it was just fine. Um, yeah. it, it it seemed very low-hanging fruit in the like, hey, look, isn't this shocking? We're seeing Santa get drunk and throw up on people and beat the crap out of people. And it just sort of feels like, well, I mean, okay. I mean, I get it. I get what you're going for. But like, and there were, you know, David Harbour growling, you know, seasons beatings. Sure. Got like a chuckle out of me, but I feel like, and again, completely different films, completely different concepts, but the, Oh my God, isn't it shocking watching Santa do this thing? That trope, you know, Billy Bob Thornton stole that 20 years ago when bad Santa right. came out. So it's right. just, it's, it's just not, I don't think it has quite the, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm seeing this in front of my eyes appeal that I feel like the movie itself thinks it does. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's, you know, uh, and, and I think Kevin will probably speak to the script, but the script is, is fairly poor, which I think really keeps it from, you know, crossing that level. It's fine. It's fine. But it's just like it's not nearly as clever or shocking as I think it thinks it is. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And it's all one of the things I will give it credit for. And this is one thing I, I, I like. So the 87 North is the company who produced this. The guy, the, the guys who did, you know, the team behind like Bullet Train and John Wick and, uh, you know, nobody. Um, one thing I appreciated with nobody, and I think it was really apparent in nobody and you've seen it in John Wick as well is watching these action heroes actually get hurt um and you know and nobody for example when we were on the bus with Bob Odenkirk and he's you know he's in that fight scene we see him taking those hits and then you remember he lands on that chair and just falls down in that fight scene and gets back up so I think one of the cool things they did here was and this is actually the, my favorite thing of the film Santa the powers that Santa has, he's able to utilize those within fight scenes. And I don't know if you agree with this, Jake, but I felt like they did a really good job balancing the idea that he didn't come out full force with those powers. He actually does get hurt. It does take adversity for him to get through fight scenes. And like 87 North is kind of known for their choreography and making fight scenes look as realistic as possible and have actual stunt actors doing these sequences. And I think that's why when you watch John Wick and you watch nobody and you watch films of this company, like bullet train, the fight scenes are amazing because they are actually done by teams of professional stunt actors who know how to choreograph long takes of action. And that stuff is see cool. Bullet train. Never saw it. That Dude, you're going to see cool. bullet train. Oh my God. Oh, well, especially awesome. like to your point where we live in a world where, Actors, you know, whether it be The Rock or Jason Statham, put in their contract how many times they're allowed to be punched and are never really allowed to lose. I mean, I mean, all of us grew up on actors who were 
more than happy to have their, I was going to say more than happy to have their asses kicked. Like Harrison Ford, Schwarzenegger, Rocky, what makes like as big and, 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 otherworldly as those guys were, they weren't afraid to have their asses kicked on camera. And that's what gave them that human element that made those movies great. Whenever you read these articles about like, well, you know, for Hobbs and Shaw, you know, the the rock could be punched so many times and Jason Statham could be. (laughs) And when it comes down to like a number and they're afraid to see who gets more like that bothers me. And so to your point, yes, we need to live in a world where like our heroes honestly get the crap beat out of them. You know, that's that's. That, that shouldn't be the world we live in. It shouldn't be, they shouldn't be the exception. It should be the rule. Yeah, and in this instant, like Santa, the, the, the powers this character has, you essentially could annihilate anybody that you're fighting, right? And, and the payoff of the film is really cool because the powers build up and each scene he kind of amps it up towards some clever ways that Santa could mess with somebody. Um, that being said, and everything I just said, I, I, I fully believe in terms of what the movie does on an action level. It's just not well-written. Um, mm-hmm. And here's the thing. And, and I, I, I actually hate when, when someone, or I, I don't like to use the word hate. My mom said never use the word hate. I dislike when, when you see a film that has great action, but you criticize the script and people go, Wait, it's just an action movie. It's not supposed to have a good script. I disagree with that completely. And that's why I always praise James Cameron films like True Lies and Terminator 2 and Aliens, which are straight up action films that have really solid scripts and really solid characters. Um, And in this case, Harbour's great. He's given good lines. The issue, and I guess I'll just explain what the the plot in the beginning of the film is, is it's a family on Christmas a group of villains come in, take the family hostage. Essentially, Santa's out delivering gifts that night. He happens to be at this particular place when this happens. And, you know, the whole point of the movie is for him to try and save the day. Jake, I don't know if you agree with me, but that family that is taken hostage, the writing and the characters are just not I um good. I got so excited and, whenever I realized that sort of the matriarch of the family was Beverly D'Angelo. And I was like, oh, she, that's fun. But yeah, she's it, honestly really bad. And, the they, and they have, and they have this kid who's like like a social media star who's trying to like capture everything. And I and I get the modern times of it, but it just felt like every character was like, oh, we got to make this person that person. This person's that person. And it, it just felt really like they were plugging in what they thought a family dynamic would be in that situation. And like it just felt forced and like. When you watch something like Nobody or even John Wick, I'm not saying those are class act scripts, but they work for the world oh, they that they're in. Yeah, right. actually, but, like, you know, it's funny. Actually, they're, they're we well done. we yeah. keep mentioning sort of the the um, the elevator pitch of like, oh, it's a Die Hard with Santa, but cool it idea. really does feel like someone in a conference room at honest like in a studio yeah. in hollywood literally said that like oh we should make a movie that's die hard with santa get on it, it. Yeah. and then they, they they came up with that elevator pitch before they came up with the movie or worse this it is- almost feels like they just found the title like someone yeah. was like hey what about, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what about yeah. violet night and yeah. then they were like oh uh, damn go i will say it. this <laughs> the, uh, I, I will say this the movie it's not horrible it's just not like this is this is an exact example of the trailer being phenomenal like the trailer was awesome. And then the movie was just. Eh, okay. Fine. I mean, but the yeah. action, I will say if you like action and you like 87 North, like the company, you will get genuinely cool. There's a really cool Texas. You guys know what a Texas switch is? I do not. Okay. Well, Gabe like does. the scene in, uh, if, I, if I'm not confused, it's like the scene in um, hot fuzz when he jumps over the fence 
and then it looks like is it looks like he's jumping over the fence like yards later, but it's just a different actor that they swapped right. in, right? That's the so, yeah. yeah. So like I think one of the most famous, I think probably one of the greatest Texas switches uh is in uh Place Beyond the Pines when um we're on a oneer behind Ryan Gosling and he drives his bike into that like circular thing and in the middle of that shot there's no edit another driver takes over and you don't Mm -hmm. know it um and it's basically what you do with it is you just you follow a shot and then you go off to the left a little bit the other actor steps out while off frame the other stunt person steps in and finishes the shot and then they'll come then they'll redo it ryan will come back in finish the Mm -hmm. shot so like in in uh in violent night there's a the the first major fight that santa has with with the villain as a really awesome Texas switch. Um, it's basically this like brutal brawl. And if you look closely, you'll see like it, it's, it's a one and it's Harbor theoretically the whole time. But you, if you watch closely, the camera will move. That's when the stunt guy steps in. David Harbor rolls out. He waits off camera, rolls back in. It's like kind of a cool, it's called a Texas switch. I believe is the name for it, but it's Only really because I just watched T2 or the first 20 minutes of it today. Yeah. The moments when they cut to not Arnold on the motorcycle yeah. are hysterical. So um, <laughs> is he is he is it someone wearing a mat? Oh, well, I don't know. It looks like Jean Claude Van Damme. It honestly looks like Jean Claude Van Damme. So uh, I know you have to move on, uh, but, uh, but you brought that up. I had to mention it. So the 4K release of T2. Um, I'm usually against this type of stuff, and we, people have been criticizing George Lucas for years for changing things in his films. But I think those were more story changes, like with Han and Greedo. Yes. Um, in this particular instance. Uh, back then when they shot that film and Arnold's coming off that that ledge of that bridge with the motorcycle back then we didn't really have face replacement so it was an actual stunt actor who performed the sequence he fixed it for the 4k yep so the 4k they wow. actually went back in and put Arnold's face on the stunt guy and it looks <laughs> phenomenal like they did a really good job and that's I was like shame. you know what that's, that's one that I'm cool with them changing John, that for the, the version that you were yeah. probably watching on sci-fi, they actually did face replacement <laughs> as well, but it was it was Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> right, right, right. It was, yeah. you, you, were watching, you were watching T2 Hard Target. That's what the yeah. Also, yeah, because like he, he goes <laughs> off the ramp, and before he lands, they cut to commercial. It was like two and a half minutes of commercial. <laughs> and, so. like, and then like an alien crawls across the screen. It's like, tonight at seven. Yeah. But no, <laughs> James, James, James Cameron was on set, and he says, he says, no, 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 we don't need to finish the jump because this is when we're going to put the commercial break. Exactly. But nowadays, Sean, if, that's, if, that's, if, that's, if that scene happened in a John Wick movie, Keanu Reeves wouldn't do that. They would have no. a stunt guy do it and then face sure. replace him with Keanu Reeves. But yeah, yeah. they just didn't have the tech back then. And now it looks really good. Well, I'm saying I like the nostalgia of yeah. oh, clear stunt the old man. stunt guy. Yeah, I like I that. Mean, yeah. Well, you know, I you know, Cameron kind of went back and changed the stars in Titanic. Like that's how, yeah. like that's how meticulous. Like it was it Neil deGrasse Tyson, which it I think is like, the stupidest yeah. complaint in the world. Complaint like DiCaprio's that like, not in it anymore. Oh, no, uh, don't be that guy. It's a okay. fun complaint. It's a fun. Well, it's, complaint. That, okay, but Neil deGrasse Tyson. Well, no, Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson on Twitter when it comes to film, I think is like the worst kind of the film Twitter person. Where he's like this sort of he's he's the guy that's like well. Like you do to then if if Tom Cruise had ejected out of the plane at Mach ten, he would have turned it like dude. Nobody cares, man. You're supposed nobody to have cares. fun with that. You're supposed to have. Fun I don't with think that. he's doing it in a fun way. I think he is. Has I he addressed? So. Has he addressed the room on the door uh, controversy? There I'd was like no. His, there wasn't there a interpretation. Um, there was an episode one that I get really angry about the whole door thing. Like they, the, there's a scene in the movie <laughs> where he tries to get on the door yes. and the door starts to tip. 
Like right. it, they they address the fact that he can't get on it or it won't yeah. hold her. Like it's it's I don't I understand this whole that. like why it was such a contract. Like it there is a scene where he tr- tries to get they on. Don't try once. You try a few times. No, he was cold. Rose Sean. skirt. Rose sketch to the edge. I, 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 I feel bad for here. Michelle. I feel bad for like Michelle on the Michelle on the Titanic and Sean going. Could you just scooch over a little? There's there's room oh for God. me on this door. I would 100 percent be yelling at her to scooch to the edge. That's the least romantic. Jake's like, I just don't think so, man. I don't I know. Just don't, he's up on the door. He's like, also, sorry, the stars Sean, aren't just, in the right place. It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> Jake's holding on to the door. Also, don't argue. There's, man. No, it's room. Just no room. There's, There's no, no room. room. Sean, are, just, you, are you sure? Are you sure? Jake's like, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm and, then, sure. and then in a lifeboat, Kevin's <laughs> rowing by, going, "Are you guys shooting on film?" Blowing a whistle. They were. They were yes, shooting they on were. film. All right. Let's get to speaking of being frozen in the water. Gabe submerging in the water as he's rapping. <laughs> we are trying to get to uh Frozen. this week's blend game which is hashtag winter movie blend so we um like to mix it up every once in a while and get away from the actors and the directors and go with some type of a, a seasonal response and um my first one i'm gonna go first and i'm gonna say um that my pick is gremlins uh gremlins is a very fun holiday film that uh, it's important that it's set during the winter time uh, it's a christmas gift obviously that gizmo is to to billy and from the get go, when the dad is shopping and goes into that sort of uh, down the hallway, down the alleyway shop where he finds the Mogwai, uh, it's got that Christmas feel to it. He's Christmas shopping and trying to get something in the last minute. Um, the conclusion in the town with the snowplow and and Billy having to chase after the gremlins has a great sort of winter feel to it as well, too. Uh, I think there's a lot of great stories you could pick that are set during the winter time. Um, but gremlins is the one that really starts to get me in the mood for, hey, it's Christmas. Hey, it's cold outside. Uh, Gizmo's snuggled up inside of a little scarf uh, as Corey Feldman is playing notes on the piano and getting him to sing. And I'm ready to see uh, Spike throw plates at Billy's mom uh, and hide in the Christmas tree and all the really fun elements that come with it. So I went with gremlins kevin where did you go for your hashtag winter movie blend yeah and what's crazy about this is like my answer probably would change tomorrow so this is where i'm at right now but like when it comes to winter like i I, you know snow clearly plays a factor into the the visual element of the film and like home alone to me and just friends I'm, i'm gonna cheat and do two just because there are films that like get me into that winter cold spirit um just friends obviously with ryan reynolds that was a movie that was special to me because of uh it was the first movie i ever professionally reviewed um and it was just i don't know for me i put that on they go you know it's cold the movie's all about (laughs) the christmas time it's cold the snow it plays it plays a part and there's a hilarious ice skating scene with ryan reynolds um so i don't know that's a a a film that takes place in the winter time that just reminds me of that time of year um home alone the reason i bring that up is because my buddy dan who i've been best friends with since i was 12 uh, he's been doing this bit recently over the past couple of weeks where he'll just send me a screenshot of a movie he's watching and have me guess it. And luckily I've gotten every one of them, right? Like he's like, how are you? No. So last night he sent me a photo of a clock in a house. That's all it was. And I was like, that's home alone. He goes, how the hell did you know that? And because back then, like that's how I equated like those f- movies had feelings like there was a, a feeling to the way the screen or the image would give me about the time of year. Sure. Yeah. And like home, home Alone, even though it's a Christmas film, 
I watching it at, at the end of November, even before Thanksgiving or after Thanksgiving gets me into that winter vibe. And regardless of if you celebrate Christmas or not, that film just feels like purely winter, um, just like everything about the story. I mean, even down to a little scene where um, Macaulay Culkin's like sledding down his staircase to go out the door and then going walking over to the convenience store to buy buy food and come back. It's just just a feeling to it. I know the shining might be like an, an obvious choice here or the gray and things like that. But I just, those are the films that I'm thinking about in my head at the moment of like films that give me that winter vibe. I know they're kind of random choices, but that's where I'm at. Great choices. Jakey. Um, I've talked extensively about my experience and my tradition of watching the thing and uh, the shining in the winter. So I didn't want to use those because I've talked about that too much. Um, instead, I will talk about one of like my must watch Christmas movies, which I feel like might surprise people because I don't talk about it a lot on the show. Um, every December, I genuinely look forward to watching Love Actually. I yeah, don't yeah, know why wow. it, it Dude, that movie, lie, it just it gets me. It really does. I get I get it's so cliche. It's almost like saying your favorite Christmas song is the Mariah Carey song. But I'm telling you, man, I get wrapped up in all the different stories. I get wrapped up when that little girl sings the Mariah Carey song at the end, when all of the stories start interconnecting with each other. And what's funny, you know, we often talk a lot about this show on the show about how as you get older, um, you know, in movie, how movies change for you. And it's interesting is that, you know, what my favorite story in that movie is changes mm. as I've gotten older. You know, I used to really respond, you know, to, to, to this one. And now I respond to this one. And now, you know, I'm curious to see in five years, but I only allow the myself. Ne- the Neeson one uh, got, gets yes, me more now. The Neeson one definitely as I've gotten older now, gets me yes. a lot more. Um, the, the um, Alan Rickman, Yes. Uh, you know, one really affects, you know, really kind of like breaks my heart more so. And, you know, I, the, the older I get, even though I love Alan Rickman, the, the less forgivable he is for me as I get older. And and uh, it's just, you know, and I, I always forget that Billy Bob Thornton plays the president. And uh, it's always <laughs> such a fun, pleasant surprise whenever he shows up and plays the most cliche, terrible American stereotype you could imagine. Um, but I love it. The the jokes still play for me. The The dude who goes to the small town and was it what is it wisconsin and meets <laughs> the like British the four most the be- yeah and he meets like the four most beautiful women <laughs> in the world at the most dive bar you could possibly like it's just fantastic and i genuinely i only allow myself to watch it once a year to kind of make it a treat i watch it in the month of december usually and with a week or so left to go for christmas so that it kind of times out with the timing of the film and uh, and i look forward to it i haven't watched it yet this year and it's still november 30th but I honestly just talking about it, I'm like excited to like I make a thing of it. Like it has to be a night where I have nothing else going on. I'll pour myself a little drink and I will watch Love Actually. And it it, so and it gets me every time. Dude, Bill Nighy's Christmas is all around oh. us song like that is one of my favorite bits ever. Yeah, I, I, that movie and Hugh Grant yeah. is so good in that. Mo- like, and, like and, but it kind of doesn't yeah. kind of bother you that like and, and, and I remember asking Hugh Grant about it at a junket actually. The same weekend as the first Avatar junket, so it would have been 13 years ago. Um, but I think he just did an interview recently where he talks about like not super like Hugh Grant doesn't love that movie or like doesn't at least doesn't think his performance is good. Like, doesn't it kind of a, a bummer? It's like, dude, of all your movies, like you don't love that one. Like, that's yeah, that's what that's the one you're going to like. You're going to like talk badly about Padding, Paddington two star Hugh Grant. <laughs> dude, dude, you cannot. People love Paddington. I love Paddington too. Too. I, dude, dude, listen, I love it. And I love great. him in it. He's fantastic. I don't think I've ever seen love, actually. 
What? what? I don't think I have. I think I've only seen clips of it. You have to watch it, man. I think I've only seen like the the sign changing, and I think I've only seen. I've probably seen it twenty. But like the significance of that, of that clip, like all like all the clips that you've seen, like the iconic moments. Yeah, the significance of them is what like like I don't want to tell you, but there is a reason that he's outside her door with signs. Like it's no, I totally understand, but I think I think legitimately. I, it's one of those ones where I've seen so many clips of it that I just feel could like I, I've could seen I it. ask you, but, Michelle, to please sit down this holiday season yeah, and, and and press play on Love Actually? But Jake, there's, there's no way the the card scene in the movie is more emotional than watching the two guys from Scrubs sell me Verizon or whatever. I mean, that's, that's I, 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 I know that's I'm love. switching cellular services. Yeah. And I love those. I love those guys. I do. And yeah. That commercial hurts my heart. You gotta <laughs> watch Love Actually with Michelle. Dude, where, like, where, 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 has where, Michelle seen it? I don't know. No, maybe. Maybe. I arguably it's been around for a long time. Top five romantic comedies of all time. Oh, hundred percent. Interesting. All right, that's Kira in it. I'm I'm down for. Oh, she's she's amazing in it. She's amazing, dude. Chiwetel Ejiofor is amazing. The the cast Um, is insane. Who else? Uh, Is it? um, Laura Mar- Lenny? Martin, Martin Freeman, Laura Lenny, Laura Lenny's in it too. Yeah, Mar- yeah, yeah, yeah. And also the, the, the like, what's funny is like the, you mentioned the plot line with the the porn stand-ins. Um, yeah. <laughs> like the irony. Of, well, now I don't want to like say it out loud, but like the irony of what happens with that plot line is like it's right. you know it's it's fantastic. All right, audience picks. Uh, Indy Christina. She said the day after tomorrow. Good choice. That Great is choice. a frigid, frigid movie. Uh, Christian Hestis went with something that I swore one of you two was going to go with, which was the Hateful Eight. Dude, um, I do. I do watch that every winter. That's another good one. I actually I just watched the first half of it the other day. People who are listening to us watch the Netflix version of it. Yeah. The episodic one. I don't like the episodic one. Oh, I love to it. To me, it doesn't flow as well. Amanda Young said uh, The Cutting Edge. Matt Caron said Fargo. Another great uh, Fargo is sure. a great choice. That's uh, what Rachel I thought Ho- of when we were talking about uh, to the Daniels about going to look for the rocks. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a great story because remember like Fargo tries to imply that it's a true true story but like you know the the names and events have changed for you yeah. know um, and I think that after Fargo came out there were stories of people going to look for the money that, because the money in theory would still be buried out there ah that's um, funny so that's what I that's what I thought of whenever they were talking about don't go look for the rocks I thought of like the the money from Fargo uh, Rachel Ho says out of sight which I didn't realize was a winter movie uh, but I haven't she seen out note, of sight in a really long time she did note. Th- for some random reason, she it seems like it's just uh, for her randomly. It feels like a winter movie. Huh. Yeah, good for you. you there are no real rules to this game. That's what so I said. Not? That's what I said. <laughs> why not? Uh, and then Philip Addison says the nice guys, noting technically any Shane Black movie is a Christmas movie, and I think that that's very fair. Okay, I mean, for next three week, is a Christmas movie. It is. It's I remember. I remember when when what was it like when we did the junket because it came out the first weekend of May, so we would have done the junket in April, and like it was just mm-hmm. felt so weird like watching that movie in April. I was like, this doesn't feel like it should have come out right now. Mm, very true. Good point. Uh, for next week, reach out on Twitter using hashtag you and McGregor blend. Oh, so get us your. I, no, I know mine. Get us your favorite films starring you and McGregor, and you can let us know what he's not in T T two. He is in T two. You and McGregor is, uh, is in T2? Well, the other T2. Oh, okay. It actually uh, was called No, it actually was called T2. It was called T2. That's right. Uh, or you can be, email us at uh, realblend at cinemablend.com if you would like My us to hear your, your Ewan McGregor <laughs> pick uh, for next week's blend game. In the meantime, our next premium episode, which is going to be dropping on Monday, is going to be the two film challenge, challenge. Uh, actors volume two. Again, check the description. 
wherever you are listening to us to figure out how to get access to the premium episodes. Uh, Want to throw out a plug to the real ones. Gabe, what do we have to say about the real ones? Well, well no, for the real ones. The real ones, again, are uh, they're all the real ones, but the ones that, you know, stick through the outro, through the rigmarole. Uh, because next week's guest, and partially mm. while we're playing Ewan McGregor blend, is Guillermo del Toro. Yes, yes. Ooh. Hashtag it happened already. Guillermo del Toro. Folks. This one's fun, man. As this long as I don't God. accidentally delete the footage, he's going to be on the show. <laughs> oh my God. He is so much fun. He tells some stories that <laughs> it's so good. shocked us of how much fun they are. Yes, he's going to be a terrific listen. So, hey, real ones, you made it this far, and you guys now know that del Toro will be our guest on next week's episode. In the meantime, um, follow us online at Jake's Takes at Kevin McCarthy TV at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach, and the show is at Real Blend. We will talk to you guys uh, sometime soon in the near future and follow but our first, socials. we're off to London. Specifically, yeah, because we're going to be uh, in London covering a number of crazy things, including Avatar and possibly 1923 and something else. <gasps> oh, we can't say that out we loud yet, we though, can we? We won't mention any Believe of what that. I just said. But what I'll say, what I'll say, and I won't make you guys commit to anything because I think your schedules are still up in the air. Are the three yes. of you going to try to do an impromptu, you know, throw out a quick tweet? Maybe, maybe, hey, we're at this bar. Come it's say tough hi. because I, because we have, because Sunday are all of our schedules. We're, it, there are so many elements where we're just waiting on timing. Yeah. I ask um, you on air because I know a lot of the London Blenders. It would sure. have to be Sunday. I'd love to do it. Yeah, it would have to be Sunday. It would have and, to be Sunday and we just don't, don't know see our Sunday and, and there are there are some interviews that in theory yeah. that we would be doing via Zoom where the talent would be. Yeah. So, I mean, in theory, like, I mean, if we could potentially get done at like nine o'clock, I'd be down to to take off. Here's what I'll say to the folks uh, in the UK. Don't make a trip to London this weekend, hoping that it's going to happen. Yeah. But if you're in London, right. but if you're in London, pay attention to Twitter. And yes. uh, the, Sunday the, night, the guys will tweet out if they we get will the be chance. around. Yeah. There might be, be an announcement that we are going to celebrate a very busy day by heading yes. to a pub to watch um, Kentucky. Fucking Kentucky is going to be in London. That's insane. And first round on, the TVs. on Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, that's what I hear. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, I've heard. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, in the meantime, oh. Larry Legal. Crown, Larry Crown, hashtag okay. elephant feces. <laughs> oh, no. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 